This podcast is sponsored by Eurex Exchange. Eurex, an exchange for the better. Eurex Exchange is one of the world's leading derivatives exchanges. The exchange is the home of the Euro yield curve with liquid derivatives on German, Italian, French, and Spanish government bonds. Eurex 2 features the broadest choice of equity index derivatives worldwide. Every day, Eurex customers transact 7.5 million contracts across 11 asset classes on its award-winning T7 platform. To find out more, visit eurexexchange.com. Welcome to a DerivSource podcast. This is Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. ESMA recently published its draft RTS for MIFID II and MIFIR, which has left many compliance and operational teams with over 2,000 pages of information to digest and translate into implementation plans and changes. I have with me today PJ D. Gemmarino from JWG Group. Welcome to the podcast, PJ. Thank you, Julia. Great to be here. Now, PJ, would you start with an introduction into yourself and also your company? Sure. I am an operations and technology professional that's been at regulations now for over a decade. I started the MIFID Joint Working Group IT Subject Group back in 2005. And since then, what we've been doing is looking at all of the regulations globally to work out what it's going to take to get them right. So we run a series of special interest groups with professionals from the ops and tech arena within the large sell side, but also across the specter of uh, the industry to work out how exactly to do regulations. And obviously MIFID II has been a key area of focus now for over a year and a half. With MIFID II's non-equity instruments, including derivatives, there is industry concern whether the regulations take sufficient account of the specific challenges regarding complexity and liquidity. What is your response to that? Clearly, there is a lot of concern in the industry. ESMA has been working on these standards for a long time and taking on board a lot of comment. There's still a few things being nailed down. Ultimately, the definitions as they're written are difficult to interpret, but they're not impossible. Whether something is traded on a trading venue and how it needs to be reported and to what extent it is liquid are things that are obviously solvable, but the challenge is to work out how to go about doing that on a day-to-day basis from the 3rd of January 2017. So firms are needing to look very carefully how they think about the classification of the instruments they trade, how do they identify them, how they're going about digitizing the workflow and the trade flow, and making decisions about how they're beating the various obligations. Let's talk a little bit about the transparency principle. How will the transparency principle, which reaches from price publication all the way to trade execution, impact the way that the OTC derivatives markets function? That's a great question, Julia. We talk about transparency as if it were one thing, but actually there are many moving parts to it. And there's a a well-known transaction reporting regime that's getting a lot more complicated. That's probably the least of folks' worries. From a business point of view, it's more about the pre-trade transparency and the immediate post-trade transparency, because that's where market data, pricing information actually will be visible and it can fundamentally change the market. Obviously, the discussion about how do we get the right instruments and how do we get 
the right view of all our trading venues, including all the new SI regime and how the, that's going to play out has become a key question. And there are many, many questions at the moment about how all the data around execution is going to be not only published, but consumed. Everybody in the market now has a, a lot more obligations and many more obligations in order to be able to get out how they go, went about doing the actual trades that they were being asked to do. And was that a surprise in the recently published RTS? There's been a number of discussions about at what level some of this transparency is meant to happen. Obviously, we have different approaches. We could have done it in a class of financial instruments. We could have done an instrument-by-instrument approach. There's some hybrids being talked about. Fundamentally, yes, there have been some changes to the way the regime is happening. It seems to be maybe a little bit more doable from an OTC perspective, but there's still fundamentally some big questions in there. One of them I think we touched on earlier is the reference data. A lot of concerns about how do we identify the instruments. We have an ISIN question. We have an AII question. It all has to line up to this great new reference data utility that ESMA is building as we have to be able to track everything that moves across the market. Now, PJ, sticking with reference data, how will the requirements around reference data proceed given the lack of standards in the OTC derivatives industry? The reference data requirements will really start front to back from the very beginnings of thinking about on the 3rd of January, what's in my warehouse of products. The way uh, the technical standards read, you need to be able to have very firm governance procedures around everything that you're offering to a customer. You have to be able to think about how you're targeting a specific market and what kinds of customers you're bringing those products to before you even then look at the impact and monitor what the consumption has been. And there, there's a whole discussion about who are the classes of customers that I find appropriate, how I'm identifying them, how am I linking them together. And again, when they're coming to me for order flow, how do I think about digitizing the business that I'm doing so I'm making the right decisions? Because a lot of this will be very complicated, especially for big firms that have lots of different hats with the different types of SI obligations that they are in the OTF. MTF crossovers. They're all trying to now work out right in front of the customer an awful lot of complex decision making. And the days of being able to do that on a spreadsheet and in a telephone are probably well behind us. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit more about implementation. Now, MIFID II and MIFIR overlap with a lot of other regulation. So, PJ, what would you suggest that firms be doing to prepare for these changes? And what should they be prioritizing perhaps in 2016? It's a great question, and it gets back to, you know, if we wanted to be Rumsfelding about it, uh, how do you know your unknowns? There are literally millions of paragraphs in, that you have to look at with MIFID II and its interdependent regulations. What implementers really need to do is get owners for those paragraphs in a thematic way assigned to people that are going to make the decisions about what they'd like to do about it. And to do and make those decisions, they really need to take on board the philosophy and the way the regulators are thinking about what's different in 2017. So it, it needs to be something that, though I'm do, conducting business a certain way today, I've got an eye to the future, and I'm thinking about interpreting all of those various requirements and what they mean to not only my customers, but all my suppliers up and down the chain, because there'll be lots of new ways of thinking about how I can go about satisfying those obligations. And some of them will be more attractive ways to clients than others. 
And PJ, in terms of what you're seeing amongst the market participants about how they're already starting to prepare or they will do in the next year, talk to me a little bit about what you see them doing in terms of owning specific areas of implementation or how they're structuring it, as you mentioned, with governance, et cetera. It's a great question, Julian. There's no one answer because every firm organizes itself slightly differently. But those leaders that we see out there with good change the bank programs are clearly segmenting those issues according to the types of skill sets and owners they need to line up against the business and make the appropriate decisions. Our MIFID implementation group has a variety of folks that will come to the various topics that we hold. If we're talking about a pre-trade or maybe a post-trade transparency issue, they're making sure they get the business analysts and the COOs that are close to those desks there to talk about the operational issues and how they're going to form common policies. If we're talking about investor protection, obviously there are folks that have been through the the RDR wars, the PRIPS discussions, all the various governance and product control type issues, they're weighing. And ultimately, if you get down to things like systems and controls issues around algo trading and any of the discussions about how do we monitor and track what's going on, you tend to get more folks from the middle office and compliance coming to talk about how they're doing. But at the end of the day, it all gets down to knowing your deltas. And the deltas are twofold. One is, what did MIFID 1 say? And how did I implement MIFID 1? And then what's happened between MIFID 1 and today? For example, the best execution review that's happened here in the UK. And what do we do about that? Because only then do I now know how I'm getting ready for MIFID 2. And I need to think about my global operating model and what matters from the way that I'm running it. So those deltas are key. And knowing where the interdependencies are, cross-regulations and cross-regimes, are important to be able to formulate a plan to get the thing done right. Because as we all know, we're only 64 Saturdays away from implementation. So let's talk about solutions. Are there any existing solutions or do new ones need to be developed in order to help institutions prepare for MIFID in the future? Absolutely. And the great news is that we're now in an age of fintech where lots of investment is being made in these companies and platforms where they can actually bring new things to the market. But obviously, a lot of our old partners are still there trying to figure out how to use those same new technologies. So it's a very, very interesting landscape as we watch the arms and APA races and how they're going to figure out and managing a lot of the transparency and the post-trade transaction reporting. We're seeing more in the instrument golden source utility space start coming out. We're seeing folks going after the whole research management and billing challenges. All of these kinds of things are very fundamental to the whole industry in that they need to get on a common standard that everyone says is good enough. So the great thing about people coming together on these common solutions is that they can then get to what becomes acceptable industry practice and then it can evolve as the requirements become more clear. And finally, PJ... You have a special interest group that focuses on MIFID II. What are their concerns and what are their focus now and for the next year? The special interest group is implementation-oriented. It's really the program managers of the largest firms trying to work out how are they going to get it all done in time. So obviously there's some things that aren't as clear as others, but what they're looking at are really how do we get to clarity around what we need to do to solve the problem. Because as soon as we know it's solvable, we can then start the project to actually do something. So we're getting away from just talking about what it could mean and turning it into what we are actually doing. And this gets back to the capability of regulatory change management. So all of them are trying now 
to make sure they have as comprehensive a list of obligations and that they can check off against the fact that they're going to meet them all in these various programs. And that's where having platforms that allow you to wire all that content like Reg Delta does into accountability by owner become critical. It's the kinds of things that we're going after now. We're on our, as we record this, we're heading into MIGS 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and we'll probably wind up in the, in the high 20s by the end of the year. Every one of those meetings is bringing the experts together to talk about what's the problem and what are the options to solve. It's not particularly earth-shattering space for a lot of the folks in the legal profession, but actually it's really, really exciting when it comes to how do we think about dealing with the post-trade reporting issues, or how do we think about the record-keeping challenges, or how do we look at the repapering challenge with the customer, or how do we get the right kind of product sheets out there to meet the requirements of lots of people that want to know about all these instruments. And that's where the synergy happens in having, you know, the right-minded people around the table really matters. And this isn't just a sell-side thing. We're also talking to the buy side. We're also talking to financial market infrastructure about how we involve the right people at the right time. So at the end of the day, collaboration is key. That's one of our core principles. That's what we were always set up to do. We're bringing the right people together around the topics with a governed and controlled view about what needs to happen. So the market can sort itself out and we can actually get there to the 3rd of January or whatever the new date may or may not be to be able to get the right bit in at the right time. Great. I think that's a good note to end on. So thank you, PJ, for joining us in this DerivSource podcast. Thanks very much. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, please go to our podcast notes page available on DerivSource.com. Thank you for listening. Join us next time.